We're so glad that you're here today, and I'm so glad to, to get the opportunity to speak today. We're going to continue in our study of, of Exodus, the Exodus story. And before we get there, I wanted to ask, um, have you ever felt fatigued? Have you ever been tired? Paul says never. Have you ever experienced um, feelings of, of burnout? You're like, oh man, today I am just done. I'm at the end of my rope. I was, um, I was researching online today, uh, this week, and I found several articles that listed careers with high burnouts. And I was like, oh, that'd be interesting. So I, I clicked on them, and uh, they were all very similar. Some of the top careers with high burnout rates are the medical profession, uh, social workers, teachers. I know there's a lot of teachers in the house here. Um, attorneys, police officers, retail and I looked at that list, I'm like, that is, that's a lot of different careers. And what do they all have in common? People. <laughs> so pretty much the reality of it is that you can get burned out in any profession if you're working with people. And I had to chuckle a little bit. And so then I kept reading about burnout, and I found this CNN article, a news article that was all about parent burnout. And I've never heard that expression before. I'm like, parent burnout, what, what, what does that even mean? And I started reading the article, and it was talking about, especially when kids are little, the lack of sleep and the constantly awake and the parenting 24-7. And I had to nod my head a little bit. Yeah, I remember those days. I remember, I've, I've, thankfully I'm past those days, but I remember those days. And I got to thinking about parenting, and I found two pictures that depict parenting really well. Here's the first one. I mean, it's just this gorgeous picture. I mean, it doesn't look so peaceful. It's parents with their only child on the beach. I notice their outfits, they coordinate like... I have such a hard time with that when we take pictures. I was even noticing in this pictures, their outfits coordinate with nature. Like, they're all blues. They coordinate with the sky. And it's so gorgeous, and it makes me want to go, aw. And then I saw the next picture. <laughs> and that picture also depicts parenting. The parents totally conked out on the couch, goldfish everywhere. You have a kid drinking juice out of a wine glass. And, and I was like, oh, man, isn't that true? Like, that's, that's also true of parenting. And it's funny, but it's true that life is sometimes crazy. Uh, life is sometimes extremely busy, and sometimes we experience feelings of burnout. We experience feelings of fatigue, and, and the worst part of those feelings is sometimes we feel trapped in them. We feel like, man, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do to get out of this. So today we're going to look at a story where Moses is headed towards burnout, where Moses is headed towards these feelings of, of overwhelm, being overwhelmed and fatigue, and he receives some really good advice from his father-in-law. So we're going to look at Exodus 18, and we're going to start in verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way, and how the Lord had saved them. Now, if you've been with us this summer, 
We've been studying through the highs and lows of Israel's story as they're brought out of Egypt. And, and it begins with God promising Abraham that he will make him into a great nation. And Abraham and his descendants start to prosper and they become this great nation. And, and then later on, they find themselves in slavery in Egypt. And God raises up Moses, a Hebrew, but who's also the adopted son of the Egyptian pharaoh. He raises up Moses and he calls him through a burning bush and says, go and tell, the, tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Pharaoh resists this, and he doesn't want the Israelites to go. And God over and over shows his mercy by giving Pharaoh chance and chance to change his mind. And then the punishment begins, and God orchestrates the plagues to show his power and to change Pharaoh's mind. And so if Pharaoh relents and lets the people go, then he ends up changing his mind again and goes after them. And God brings about the final deliverance from Egypt at the Red Sea. And then the Israelites are wandering around in the, in the wilderness, and they begin to doubt God. That's what we looked at last week. They begin to doubt God and his provisions, and, and they question God, and God provides manna and quail, and God provides water and Sabbath for them. And, and now they're camped in the wilderness, somewhere between Egypt and Mount Sinai, and Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, comes to visit. And so here is Moses telling his father-in-law all about what the Lord has done, all the powerful things, and also all the hardships that they've been through. Let's continue in verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things that the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hands of the Egyptians. He said, Praise be to the Lord, who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and of Pharaoh, and who rescued the people from the hands of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the other gods, for he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. So there's this big family reunion. Father-in-law comes, and he hears, hears the stories, and, and Moses hosts this big celebration. And he invites the community to celebrate what God has done. And so he invites Aaron and the elders, and his father-in-law's there. And, and can you imagine the celebration? Can you imagine the feast that I mean, I'm thinking in my mind, I think Thanksgiving, because when I think feast, that's just where my mind goes. And by the way, if you haven't been here for a Friendsgiving that's coming up, I'm super excited. That's like my favorite holiday. If you know me, you, you probably know that about me. But can you imagine the celebration? And all the people are there, and there's food, and there's laughing, and there's retelling of the stories. And, and we do a lot of those kinds of celebrations. We do birthdays and weddings and holiday meals. And, and what I love about, what I love about this is this idea of table fellowship. This idea of sitting around the table and eating food and telling our stories. And this is the Israelites walking in community. This is the Israelites being a community, coming together and celebrating and sharing the joy of what God is doing in their, in their story. 
And then it continues in verse 13. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? So the story just spends one verse describing what's going on. Verse 13. It says, in the sea of people, we have like over 2 million Israelites here. In the sea of people, Moses is working in isolation. Moses alone is sitting as judge for all these people. So the Israelites had been enslaved for, for 400 years. And so there was little leadership structure in place at this point. There was, there was hardly any, any sort of government established. And so Moses was acting as the one leader, the one judge at this time. And his father-in-law sees him. And I can just hear his voice as he asks Moses, what are you doing? Like, really? What are you doing? Have you ever had anyone ask you that question in that tone of voice? I have, probably more than most. Um, but I remember, so I was a teacher, a third grade teacher for nine years, and I remember my second year teaching. I, I had a little one about, about this size. And, um, and I remember I was still in that phase of my career where I was there late every night, every single night. And I remember standing in the hallway looking at my bulletin board. I don't even remember what it was, but I'm sure it was fine. I was looking at my bulletin board thinking, oh, the season's about to change. I need to do something different. And I'm standing there stressing over it. And um, it, it so happened that my mentor teacher was also late there late that, that day, and she was on her way out. And so she walked by, and she said, Sarah, what are you doing here? And I said, wow, I explained to her, I'm looking at this bulletin board, I'm thinking about changing it. And she just looked at me and paused. And then she said, Sarah, go home. And, and I started to defend myself a little bit, and she looked at me again, and she said, Sarah, go home. What are you doing here? And then I remember being a little bit disgruntled because she wouldn't leave. And she stood there until I went back into my classroom and got my purse. And she walked me out of the school. <laughs> and and uh, as I think back on that, I'm like, yeah, what was I doing? I had a baby at home. I didn't need to be there in the 6 o'clock hour switching out an optional bulletin board. Like that, that was a poor decision on my part. And so as Jethro sees what Moses is doing, he says, Moses, what are you doing? And I love Moses' response. Verse 15, Moses answers him, because the people came to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Essentially, Moses' response is, the people asked me to. They came to me. They asked me. And so I'm doing it. And it, it, if you pause and think about that, it's almost funny. Like, that's your reason they asked you to? Um, last year, I mean, it was the year before that, Tommy and Giovanna gave me a book. And, and it was called The Best Yes. 
and it was a great book. I remember two questions that that book asked, and those two questions is kind of stuck with me because I'm also one of those people that tends to say yes before I think about it. And the two questions that really I've remembered from that book, the first question is, is what is mine to do? What is mine to do? Like, just for me, what, what am I supposed to do? What is mine to do? And then the other question is this, by saying yes to this, what am I saying no to? Or you can say, ask the opposite question. By saying no to this, how does that enable me to say yes to this thing over here? And, and I love the intentionality of these questions because it just brings to mind that we are limited people with limited time and limited energy, and, and we have to steward that time and energy. We have to intentionally decide what is most important, how we're going to spend our time and energy, instead of just haphazardly saying yes to the immediate to to the demands that are right in front of us. And so this, I believe, is what Moses is being confronted with here. And what's interesting about this story is that there's a tension between what God has called Moses to do and the perpetual daily demands. So so part of Moses' calling is to lead the people to teach them God's way, to show them how to solve disputes in a godly fashion. So in part, Moses is doing what God has called him to do. However, the way he's doing it is overwhelming and is ineffective. And Moses is definitely, if he's not already there, he's definitely on the road to burnout. So the story continues. In verse 17, Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions, and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave, but select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands and hundreds, fifties and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple ones, they can, they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they they will share it with you. If you do this, and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain, and all these people will go home satisfied. So Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, just flat out tells him, what you're doing is not good. This is not working. And he lines out another way. So Moses is over here working in isolation, And Jethro lines out a way to work in community. He says, teach and model and empower people. Choose capable men, God-fearing people, trustworthy people, uh, people who won't be corrupted, and and place them as judges. And then it'll be a win-win situation. The load will be lighter for you, 
and people will be more satisfied because there's less wait time. The job will get done more effectively. So, so Moses, uh, Jethro is, in essence, getting rid of this lone ranger mentality, this idea that I, I'll just do it myself, or if I want something done, I'm just going to... If I want something done right, I'm just going to do it myself. I mean, how many times have we heard uh, that? And he's just totally getting rid of that. And he's saying we need to work in community and, and not in um, isolation. Now, that's not to say that we don't still have our part to play. We, we're each responsible to play our part, and there's a part that's just for us that we need to focus on. But we are one part of a community of many parts. And we're just one piece of that puzzle. I want to acknowledge here before I go on that um, community can be kind of a loaded word because I don't know what your experiences are, but I've experienced healthy community and I've also experienced fairly dysfunctional community where I um, didn't really want to be a part of that community, and when I tried to be a part of that community, it was really difficult. And so when, when, we're, when I'm talking about community here, I just want to acknowledge that I'm referring to a healthy community, and building a healthy community takes effort and takes time and it takes trust, something that requires good communication, um, it requires a working out of differences and agreeing on shared expectations. Some of our core values here at, at the Vine um, is the James acronym. James, joyful, authentic, modern, engaging, and safe. And this idea of having a safe community. It's part of that, that healthy community where um, there's trust and there's love. So building a healthy community, though at, at first it might require some extra work up front, in the long run, it's way better than working in isolation because isolation often leads to burnout. Isolation leads to being overwhelmed and fatigued, and working in community can lead to strength and joy because you're sharing that load. The story continues in verse 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. He chose capable men from all Israel and made them leaders of the people, officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. They served as judges for the people at all times. The difficult cases they brought to Moses, but the simple ones they decided for themselves. Then Moses sent his father-in-law on his way, and Jethro returned to his own country. So in the end, Moses listens. He listens to his father-in-law of all people. And um, it's cool to see Moses being very moldable here. Moses accepts the advice. And, and often, at least in my life, when, when someone's giving advice, especially advice that I haven't asked for, um, sometimes I'm a little bit defensive. You know, our, our first response might be to, to kind of explain why we're so tired and overwhelmed and why this is just out of our control. And, and though life is sometimes crazy with busy seasons, it's also true that if we're feeling stretched thin, if we're feeling tired or overwhelmed, more than likely, there's something that we can do to engage life a little bit differently. There's something that we can do to find more sustainable rhythms that bring about more peace 
and more joy. Moses listens to his father-in-law. And he puts a better system in place that's not working in an isolation, but that's walking and working in community. And he makes the necessary changes. So as we begin to think about application, I want to ask us, um, am I walking and working in isolation? Or am I walking and working in community? And, and if I'm feeling isolated here, then what, what are some of the changes that maybe we need to be making in our lives? And they could be big changes. Um, I mean, sometimes we have to completely step out of situations. We have to move. We have to um, change jobs and careers. I've talked to a few of you this week that, that are, are in that. Other times, it's just small changes. Small changes, such as being more intentional about what we say yes to and what we say no to. Um, small changes, such as looking for community through table fellowship, through going out to coffee with people, um, having conversations, telling, telling our story. You see, we, we're in a culture that values independence so much and and being your own strong, independent person, that sometimes that value tends to push us aside the idea that we are relational beings that need community. And that's so true. We need to engage in community. And when it's a healthy community, we find strength and joy and relationship in that. It means that we're not alone. It means that we have backup. It means that someone's in our corner. And, and God is a relational being, and he wants to be in relationship with us, and God wants us to be in a relational community. As a church, we also want this. So, so it's interesting, we think about application, we want this individually in our lives, but as a church, we also want to walk and work in community and in a healthy community. Um, here at the Vine, one of our core values is belonging. Um, and, and for people to feel like they can belong here, regardless of where they're at in their faith, to have strong relationships, to cultivate a culture that is safe and open, a culture that respects differences, respects diversity, uh, to have a church that is authentically Jesus-centered, authentic, that is real, and, and that is a family. Some of our initiatives that you may remember this year, um, Justin rolled out the Connect Challenge. And that's kind of what all this is about. Connect with God, connect with people. This summer, um, a lot of us participated in meals together, just getting together and having a meal, talking. That's part of that connecting with God and with people, building relationships. You'll hear us ask for volunteers a lot as well. And part of that is in a healthy community, we all have a voice, and we all have gifts, and we get to use them to engage our community. One of the things we're most excited about this fall is branches. And our branches is what we call our small groups. Get it? The vine, branches. Yeah, it's pretty clever, pretty clever. I know. You get it now. <laughs> our small groups. Um, because we need spaces 
where we can build relationships and spaces where we can have spiritual conversations and spaces to to serve and engage our wider community, our larger community of the Tri-Cities. Here's the main thing today. We're not meant to live in isolation. We're not meant to have faith in isolation. We're relational beings who serve a relational God. And walking and working together as a community means that we're a part of a team, we're part of a family, and, and we're part of God's family. And so we don't have to go at it alone. I want to invite us today to think about our rhythms um, your daily rhythms, your monthly rhythms, your yearly rhythms. What is it? What is it that we're doing? And to ask, how can I work, and how can I walk in community better? And I think we'll find that there's a lot of strength and joy to be found walking in a healthy community. Let's pray about that. Dear God, we just thank you so much for your promise to always be with us, your promise to always be in community with us. God, we thank you for your faithfulness and for your love. God, we pray today as we talk about community, Lord, that you would teach us what it means to be a Jesus-centered community, God, to be there for each other, Lord, to ask for help when we need it, to empower each other and to support each other, to use our gifts for your glory, and to love you individually in our lives, but to also love you and love the people around us collectively as a church. Lord, we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a community this week and in the weeks to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.